afternoon, Scott. You want something different for your next client event? How about a live podcast? The team at the Afternoon Sport Group love an audience, so why not add some star factor to your next occasion? Get the guys talking shop at your next event. For more information, email hello at afternoonsport.com. Welcome to the Building Resilience Podcast, a show where we explore the world of sport, music and business to deconstruct the tools and ethos of world-class performers so you can create growth and optimise business. I'm Noel Allnut, the CEO of Securo, and recently Securo held a corporate event named SecuroCon. On that day, I had former cricket players Shane and Brett Lee with me on stage. We recorded a live podcast. It was an insightful conversation, so I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. Building Resilience Podcast. All right, on to the Building Resilience Podcast live. And without further ado, I'd like to introduce... Brett Lee and Shane Lee, everyone. So they've both promised me that they've got up to speed with zero trust and all the other security (laughs) tools, but I didn't want to put them on the spot, so I thought we'd talk about cricket. Um, Noel actually did say, Shane, be on your best behaviour, but I'm sure it's a secure environment here, so we should be fine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's all on video, so you can say what you want, mate. like we're doing the podcast, I thought it'd be good to really start with the start and we just to hear more about your story uh, before we get into some tales of resilience. And we are going to leave the floor open 10 minutes at the end of this to, uh, to have some questions from the audience. So start thinking about some of the questions now. But if we go back to two competitive brothers playing a bit of backyard cricket, talk me through your journey from backyard cricket to playing for Australia. Older brother first. Well, I was the oldest brother, um, so I always batted first, which was great. Brett was cheat. the middle brother. <coughs> Brett reckons I was a big cheat. Well, one day I scored 450. I think I only got out once. But, um, <laughs> but uh, now we had a younger brother, Grant, who um, been the youngest brother. He had the field, so he retired at 19. He was sick of fielding. <laughs> it was good fun. I've got to apologise too because I've hurt my neck. So if, if you see me doing this, <laughs> I don't always look this awkward. Um, yeah, biggest cheat in backyard cricket, but. <laughs> A good older brother. Um, I think for us playing backyard cricket, it was all, always about what we can learn from the game. We always had the cricket on, in the sort of TV and stuff, but for us it was challenging ourselves to backyard cricket, see where we could get to, and we dreamed one day that we'd had the chance to play for Australia. And to think that we got that opportunity to play uh, is still one of my favourite memories. And what was it as, as brothers or as individuals that thought that made you stand out from the rest? Because obviously getting to play for Australia is the dream of many men and women to, to, to put on the, uh, the baggy green. So what was it that made you stand out from the crowd? Well, we grew up on the south coast of um, New South Wales and um, no one from that area had ever actually represented New South Wales or even Australia. Um, so there was no sort of guidelines for us. It was funny, at the age of sort of 13, I just had this dream that I was going to play for Australia. I don't know why. My dad never played cricket. Oh, our dad never played cricket. Um, if you ask him now, he's played 150 test matches. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just had this dream. We were very, very competitive in the backyard. Dad was very, um, very strong on the mental side of the game. Um, never give a sucker an even break. Um, make sure you're training on time. Do the one percenters. Um, and, um, and, and keep learning all the time, which was really good memory. I, I was very much a bully to Brett, and that's probably what made him really resilient. He had to bowl to me for hours and hours and hours, so you can thank me for that nice house in Clontarf, mate. Oh, well, 
You're welcome. Um, <laughs> mum was the athlete, actually. Mum was a 100-metre sprinter, and we're pretty lucky with, in terms of when we're playing cricket, like the genes, and to be able to do a 100-metre sprint at decent pace can help you to bowl fast. So mum and dad will, will still even argue about where the, the sort of so-called talent came from, but... Uh, yeah, I guess with watching Shane um, start cricket when he was 11, which is quite old for a guy that wanted to go in and play for his country, and then threw me a ball when I was nine and said, bowl to me. Well, how do you bowl? He says, just do that and do that. So I did that and did that. I thought, this is, this is kind of cool. This is fun. <laughs> You're making it sound easy. <laughs> well, it, I tried to bowl spin and I was rubbish. I couldn't bat. Um, fast, true, bowling, fast bowling came a bit more natural, and, and to see... The poor little helpless batsman down there with their, their big wide eyes as the ball came down. I thought, this is, this is exciting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> exciting for you, maybe not so much <laughs> for them. Um, what was it like to put on the baggy green? Uh, what, what does that feel like the first time you, you walk out and uh, represent Australia? Uh, well, for me, it was nine. I, I said, because mum and dad asked me at the age of nine what I wanted to be, and I said, well, I want to bowl 160 Ks. Because I wanted to go past Jeff Thompson's record at 160.45. And I wanted to wear the baggy green cap. So everything that I did from the age of nine. And people say, well, heck, you know what you did when you, when you were nine years of age. But I had this underlying current that was just urging me to, to keep training and training and training. Uh, and then at the age of 22, 23, when I first got given the baggy green cap, I know it's just a felt cap. I know it's green and it's just, but it, it, it's, it's what the history about it, what it, um, you know, to, to actually get given that beautiful baggy green cap. And I wanted to sleep with it on the first night, but I thought I can't lob up to a test match in Melbourne, 100,000 people with a, a crushed baggy green. So I put it on the bedside table and wore it very, very proudly. It was funny too, Brett's first test match, he, he, dyed, he, he dyed his hair blonde. <laughs> Um, but it went orange, didn't it? So it was, uh... Has anyone ever used sun, sunning? <laughs> I would suggest if you're a sort of mousy blonde, don't use sunning because I went like a Gatorade bottle. So pretty embarrassing, my first test. Only 100,000 people at the ground, and I'm running in with, um, yeah, a bit like your, the colour of your beard, actually. Like my beard, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a fast beard, mate, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a tried and tested colour for, for speed. <laughs> um, so... When you're on the cricket pitch, you're obviously you, you both played against some of the all-time greats, and you also work. You played with some of the all-time greats. Talk me through who would have been the toughest person you played against. Uh, for me, uh, there was two. There was two guys I played with and against was Shane Warne. I'll tell you a warning story, a few warning stories in a minute. But um, and it was Sachin Tendulkar. I bowled to Sachin in the '96 World Cup. I bowled three overs. Well, Glenn McGrath bowled first. He went three overs, none for 30. I came on and went three overs, number 23. I didn't play for two years after that. <laughs> so he's really tough. Um, for me, for me Warney was an absolute genius. And um, on that particular tour, um, I was 22, first time in the Australian team, being called up, very excited. I was a, I was a young single guy. Warney was single on tour. And, and he said, what do, you, what, do you, what do you mean on tour? Anyway, carry on. And he said, um, Shane, I will, I'll introduce you to the world of cricket. And Eden Gardens, Calcutta, we were introduced um, in front of a billion people, live TV audience. There's about 100,000 people at the ground. And we all um, walked out by an individual um, Indian model. And Warney said, oh, we'll get the best two for us, the Shane show. I said, great. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just hanging off every word. I thought, anyway, so he, he 
introduced to a couple of girls, and I thought, how good is this? It's, I'm going to keep training hard. I'm meeting some beautiful girls now. And we went back to the house. He said, come on, Shane, show it's, it's all. And we got back there thinking, oh, I think I was going to get lucky, and ended up meeting their whole entire, entire family. We spent four hours signing autographs. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't quite work out like I thought it was. <laughs> But you bounced back from it. We did. And you're, and you're and, here today. And that's why I'm resilient. Yes. <laughs> that's why you're resilient. <laughs> Never heard that story. <laughs> and yourself, Brett, who were the, the, uh, who were the, the, uh, the toughest people you played with and uh, against? Uh, definitely Sachin Tanduka uh, and Brian Lara. And, and I'll explain you know, the reason why. And, and you know, for, the, for those that like cricket or love cricket, um, it's always about timing. How much time you have as a batsman. So... For example, if I'm bowling a Sachin Tanduka and this is the crease, most people will, will bat and face there and have that time. Sachin Tanduka felt like he was batting back here. He just had that extra metre of, of time. And as a, as a fast bowler, that's something that you don't want to see because time is everything. So you try to rush a batsman. Generally, it's around about 0 0.3, 0 0.4 of a second from the time you let go of the ball until the time it reaches the batsman. So under half a second. Sachin Tanduka just made it look easy. Um, but if you bowl five balls in the same area, it hits you in the same spot. Technically gifted, 200 test matches, the most ever for a cricketer. I mean, an absolute superstar, a legend. Brian Lara, the Caribbean flair. Uh, you'd bowl five balls in the same spot, hitting five different areas. So you might bowl the ball there, you'd go whack through backward point, move backward point, whack behind square, hit you over your head, give you a bit of a wink. <laughs> Had that charisma about him and that character and, and, the, and that swagger. Um, two good mates of mine and, you know, guys I, I love playing against. And I think that if you get, you know, the, the sort of chance and opportunity to play against those best cricketers, that's when you sort of step up and really, really enjoy it. And when you've, um, you've obviously been playing against those guys and you've, you've won, a, won a lot of tests, but there's also been some which you've really had to, to kind of break down and kind of get into the trenches to either win or you've not quite come, come near it. Um, what's, the, what, what's it like, the leaders around you? How have, which, who have been the best leaders around you that have brought you up to, uh, to give you that extra edge in the, in the tough times? Oh, for me, I played under two great Australian captains, um, Steve Waugh and Mark Taylor. Um, Steve Waugh was definitely a bigger supporter of me personally as a cricketer, um, but I think Mark Taylor was a better captain. But I'll tell you the story, and you guys can make your own mind up. That 96 World Cup where I was picked, Mark Taylor was a captain, and we were playing a game at the SCG prior to going to India, and I generally come on as first change bowler around the 10th over. 10 overs went by, Mark Taylor had not given me the signal to warm up. 15 overs went by, still no signal from the captain. At 35 overs, he turned to Ian Healy and said, I think I'm a bowler short here. And he says, Shane Lee, the young fast bowler you picked in the team, here's your other bowler. He said, shit, I thought I was in the bloody team. <laughs> <laughs> so he brought me on, I took three for 12, and Bill Laurie's going, oh, he's a genius, Mark Taylor, holding Lee back. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about look sometimes, isn't yes. it? The way the cookie it's all about crumbles. Perception, yes. Yeah, perception. You remembered me yes. from backstage. Perception. There you go. Um, and yourself, who's the yourself, Brett? Who's the what would kind of leadership and what type of style did they have that was that really stood out to yourself? Yeah, look, I, I was very fortunate. I played a few games under Mark Taylor for state cricket. Um, most of it was under Ricky Ponting and, and you know Steve Waugh. Uh, probably Steve Waugh for the first. 
four or five years, and, and he used me in a, in a different format. So he would often ask me to come on and, and just bowl, and his exact words were, give me four overs of the quickest pace you got. I don't care how many runs you go for, I don't care what happens, if you get one wicket, you crack it open for us and then we get warning on, we, we, then we can sort of get to that middle order. So, you know, I knew I had a defined role that I had to play. Uh, it's, it's all well and good that when someone says that and you do it, you look up and you've gone, hopefully one for maybe 40 off your, off your four overs, you've been absolutely pumped, but you got the wicket. And then what he would do next time that you'd sort of sit down for your contract and they go, well, you've been a bit been a bit expensive. <laughs> Steve would then come and say, well, this is the role we're playing. So he looked after me in that regard. Um, I'd probably have to go Ricky Ponning. I think Ricky Ponning got me at my best. I got him at his best. We just gelled together. We understood each other. But, you know, like, like business and sport are very similar. We, we would challenge each other. We wouldn't always agree. And there'd be plenty of times where he'd be um, in the slips. He'd be doing this, which means Yorker. Hit him on the toes. I'm like going... I don't want to bowl a Yorker now. He'd be like looking at me doing the, the teapot. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not up in the bloody grandstand telling you to play a cover drive when the ball's <laughs> on a good length. Just trust what I'm doing. So we'd, we'd go through these different um, challenges where he would want a certain thing from a certain bowler. <coughs> but the great thing about punter is that he backed you 100%. And if he thought that over to you, you'll set your field, you know, you live and die by that sword, um, that's probably what I, you know, what, what I needed at that particular time. Uh, but a great, great man manager. I've also played under captains, which I won't name, where you sort of find out that you're not playing. And it's happened. I was driving over the SCG, uh, driving over, the, driving to the SCG over the uh, Harbour Bridge, I should say. Be good effort driving over the SCG. <laughs> and I'm pumped. I'm playing a one-day match for Australia against England. I'm so excited. Getting there, we're gonna warm up. And I hear on the radio that I'm 12th man. I'm like, oh, well, that would have been nice to get a phone call from someone. Yeah. So leadership is all about man management, um, looking after your colleagues, making sure that you're on the same page, but also find a way to challenge what the guys and girls want to achieve in, in business and also want to achieve in sport. When you're, when you're looking back on your career, um, yourself Brett you had some pretty serious injuries you're the fastest bowler in the world and you'd and you'd broken your back and you came back from that um, can you talk us through what your mindset was in order to to get back to your best after injury because well, it's uh, well maybe just give the, the, the nut, a quick uh, rundown of your injuries you've had more broken we'll bones and well, we'll start with your stiff neck most today. Awards, yeah. <laughs> I won't have a stiff neck next week. It's the same time next week, I'll be fine. But um, one of those clowns at the circus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know when you go to the Cairo or the, or the <laughs> that's very funny. Put the ping pong ball in the mouth. It's actually, actually quite funny for you. It's funny today. <laughs> when you go to the physio or the Cairo and they say shade where you're injured, yeah. I shade everything but my eyeballs down, and that's literally how you feel sometimes when you. You're playing test cricket. Mum and dad said, don't play rugby, don't play league because you get injured. Mm. <laughs> so 12 operations later, uh, I still know I made the right choice. But for me, yeah, 16 years of age, almost, almost 17 years of age, dive for a ball and I felt a snap in my lower back. So imagine a school ruler, the plastic rulers that the kids get at school and you bend it and you bend it and you bend it. You see a little white crease come through, which is called a stress reaction or a stress um, verge of a stress fracture, 
then you snap it. That's what in my spine. So I had a complete pars defect uh, or a broken back. Got told that uh, I'll be out for uh, 12 months in a back brace for 16 weeks. And they said, the doctor told me, he goes, at the age of 16, uh, you won't be able to run the way that you want to run again. You won't be able, certainly won't be able to bowl because counter-rotation, hyper-extension or twisting and turning in layman's terms, not going to happen. You're going to keep breaking it and breaking it and breaking it. So at 16, I'm like, no, that, that, that's not what I've trained my brain to do. I'm going to play for Australia. He goes, I know you want to, but it's probably not going to happen. I said, well, it will happen, and when I do, I'll get you a, a ticket to my first test match, which I did. So he's Indian, and he loved it because Indian Australian, and he went down, and we're playing against India, so he was pumped. I got him a ticket. And so the, you, you just, that was just a non, not giving up mentality. You were, hearing the, you were hearing the orders from elsewhere, but just that, just that resilience and just that mindset to go, yeah, I understand the medical aspect to it, but the dream's bigger than the challenge in front of me. Yeah, well, just on that, like, you've got to understand, Brett was in a full back brace from, from his pelvis up to his neck. And you turned 18, I took him out for his first night out in the town, and he had a full back brace on, like, Robocop. <laughs> And they even, and, and, they even and, scanned us back at Dapto <laughs> Leaf Club and they were like... And he used to drink uh, port and lemonade and I thought, I don't know how you met a beautiful wife in the end. <laughs> it was a slow start. Uh, it's amazing what international sport can do. Isn't it? I know, yeah. But, it, but it's, it's, it's about actually um, knowing what you want to achieve and, and not... because. You know, we've all had our knockers. There'll be people say, you can't do this and you can't achieve that and you aren't good enough for that. But if you believe it deep down, and you've got to do the homework as well, you have to do the research, you have to do the hours. Um, we would bowl for hours and hours and hours in the nets. And I hear, I hear today all this rubbish about a certain amount of um, balls that you can bowl as a 16-year-old kid. It, it's rubbish, you know. You can't tell someone like a Tiger Woods, you can't, you know, you have to hit 100 balls and walk off the course. It's, you got to learn your trade, you have to understand and respect the trade, but when someone says you can't do something, it's not like I'm going to prove to them, you got to prove to yourself. Because mm -hmm. half the battle, when you, play, when you want to play for your country, it's 80% ability, 20% mental before you play. When you've been there for about two years, it's 80% mental and 20% ability. Because you've got the ability to do it, it's if you could stay there and you get through those, those hard times. How do you think you would have fared in today's game? Because um, if you have a look at the talking about that resiliency, and there's a lot of uh, talk that I've spoken to other people on the uh, podcast about mm -hmm. the junior games, there's no winners or losers. Whereas you guys were brought up, where you, you, there's, there's, there's only one winner when you score 400, 450 in the backyard, do you know what I mean? So that starts getting annoying after a while. How do you think you would have, you would have fared in I, I just in want to clarify one, one thing before he jumps in. <laughs> We had a rule in the backyard that if you, if you nick it and the automatic wicketkeeper hits the bricks, it's out. Yeah. The pot plant, short leg, which was David Boone because it was like a, <laughs> a voluptuous pot plant. <laughs> you, you're caught in there, you're out. I yeah. nicked him off four or five times. He's like, nah, didn't hit it. <laughs> Cheat, right? So There's no video, I finally, I, finally, <laughs> I finally got him out. He got me out first ball. I started crying. <laughs> Mum came out, gave him a smack, got another bat, so I was Mate, I, was I spent happy. five years rooming with you in double bunk, so I'm resilient, right? I, 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 did, I did the hard yards as well. Yeah, <laughs> true. Now, look, I, I think, um, <coughs> back to your question, what would it be like now? Well, T20 cricket wasn't around when I retired at 29. I'd probably got about 12 million bucks a year, so it'd be pretty bloody good, I <laughs> um, But look, it's different times. 
the thing I reckon I found really interesting, I was lucky enough to be the 100th captain of New South Wales. Mm. It's a great honour. Um, the 99th captain of New South Wales was a guy called Michael Bevan, who was an exceptional cricketer, very intense guy. And they sacked him, made me captain, but kept him on as vice captain. So, and I find this with business as well, you can work with people, you don't necessarily have to like them um, away from your work environment. Like, you have to have respect and get on with them and, mm. and you can try and bring out the best out of each other, but you don't have to be best friends. And, and Michael Bev and I had that relationship. And the first day I was captain and he's still vice captain, it was like Rudd and Gillard sort of combination going on. Um, we had a horrible day in the field. And Michael Bevan said to me at the end of the day, he's played, can I have dinner with you one-on-one? -on -one? And he's a hard guy to talk to. Like he could talk about property, yeah, not a bad understanding of that, and, and the game of cricket, exceptional, but nothing else. <laughs> and I was like, Christ, I've had a bad day, now I've got to spend dinner with this guy, right? It's going to be punishing. Like the German Michael Bevan, welcome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I told him this story, so I'm, I'm not speaking out of school here, but we sat down and he said to me, Shane, I thought you should have done this in the 32nd over. You should have brought on this change of bowler. I said, you are the vice captain, you could have mentioned it then. Yeah. And he goes, whatever. And then he goes, the 88th over, you should have done this. And I said, mate, once again, you could have mentioned it. And he looked at me straight, straight in my eyes, he goes, I haven't got any friends. And I went, what do you think that is? And he says, I don't know, you tell me you're the bloody captain, right? <laughs> <laughs> and we, we, we had a really honest relationship. And I said, mate, not once in the last 15 years have you asked me about my friends, my family, how I'm going. The, the very thing that makes you exceptional at cricket is that you are so in your own head makes you be able to perform in no matter what the situation the game is. It's going to make you very lonely uh, in the future playing golf on your own. Mm -hmm. And then to his credit, he really made an effort, but he didn't help me next day in the field either. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's important, right? One of the things which we're going to talk about to wrap up today is around, we did a mental health survey, mm. and it's really important that we do kind of, uh, just, just you there, asking the question yeah. and him asking you and, and kind of sharing those stories, who knows what people go home to and stuff. So it's a, it's a, really, a really interesting point. Mm. Um, the pressure of playing on that, on that kind of the mental game, you're saying it's 80% it's capability, 20% in your head there. Um, what were some of the areas where you were just under insane pressure? I know you mentioned earlier about when you, when you, go, when you, when you now head to India, it's mm. just non-stop for you, uh, Brett, for, for that. But what were the kind in a, of... In a nice way. In a nice but way, it's yeah. It's 1.3 billion people that all love cricket. And they all follow you on Instagram. Well, not all of them, but I'm trying to get it up there. Bretley underscore down, Jack. I think I think the whole pressure thing is, once again, it's it's actually how you deal with it. So if if you can't, if you want to be on social media first and foremost, and you want to be on Twitter, I always say there's there's a couple of rules: don't don't drink and tweet first and foremost, <laughs> and if you can't read the comments, turn them off or don't be on social media because if, yeah. if you're going to be upset with some keyboard warrior that's going to make a comment about how you played, well then just, just move away from it. But for me it was, it was more with the press, so I, I actually found a way to, I guess, compartmentalise how I want to have my career in terms of the press. If I, if I had a bad game, and, and they're right, I've had a horrible game, I've bowled terribly, I should be dropped, whatever, I've then got to go, okay, that's, that's hurt my feelings, but what's actually happened in the game? Have I bowled badly? Well, yeah, I have. I've got one for 65 off 10 overs have been expensive. So you've got to be honest with yourself as well. And there was this one moment in my career is at the SCG and 
back page was Brett Lee should be dropped, hasn't bowled well all summer, got to sack him, going to get someone else in, blah, blah, blah. So we bowled first, got a, got a couple of wigs, it's a little bit expensive, so the, the, the pressure's on. And you, yeah. and you sort of, when, you know, when you're running a bowl sometimes, you can actually hear the comments if you want to allow your brain to do that. And I've got at the bat, and we had to score, I think it was 13 off the last over. And I went to smack a six straight, sliced it, hit it over for six over cover, we win the match. Next morning, back page, the hero. <laughs> so I've got this thing at home that, that, you know, the two columns, written by the same person about how I'm a loser and how I should be dropped, and about how I'm in the team, I'm the, the sort of future of Australian cricket. So if I would have gone down that road of listening to those inner demons and, and personally take them on board, well, you know, it's, it's, it's a newspaper. If you yeah. can't deal with it, just get over it. And it's, it's sportsmen, sportsmen and women now, that um, particular, there were a lot of professional sport going on that complain about, and it is tough, but you're still playing sport for a living. And I think you're very yeah. privileged to do that. And um, very lucky to earn money out of it. The average length of any sporting career is four years across every sport. Um, you know, I played 12 years professionally. How long, how long did you do? 20, bunny yeah, 13 for yeah. Australia. Yeah. So, so we're really lucky to do that. Um, for, for me, the, the, the hard bit was I got dropped twice when I actually did well, but it was due they were just going to change the team and, and I was the one, the easy one to, to, to leave out. I found that really tough because you always expect it when you haven't done well to yep. get dropped. And you go, okay, I'm going to start again. But when you've done well, then, then you take it really, I really struggle with that. Yeah. I'm going to uh, I'm going to head to the audience in, in in one minute, but just kind of final comments from me. Um, as you know, we always ask this to the people at the end of the show. Do you know what I mean? Da -da. <laughs> how would you define resilience? Well, it's it's how you look at yourself. I think um, when you get up in, the, in in the morning and you look yourself in the mirror and you and you think. What am I trying to achieve today? We hear all those different cliches about if you want to get in the morning, start small, make your bed, um, you've achieved the goal. So if nothing else happens during the day and you hop back in the bed at night, at least you hopped into a when beautifully made, made bed. bed. <laughs> <laughs> I made one this morning, thank you. <laughs> but for me it was like, how do I become the best version of me? So with, with my bowling action, I want to have, in my eyes, the best bowling action. And up until the last ball I bowled professionally at 39, I never quite achieved that perfect bowling action, in my eyes. Mm. But resilience is, is, is about how you overcome those, those pressures, how you overcome the injuries. And I play with injuries my whole life. But you've got to find a way to get through to your brain and, and almost, almost turn off that pain, that pain barrier. So as an athlete, it was always about my body. How, how was my body going to cope? And in the mornings I'd get up out of bed, I, I couldn't even walk. But then you think, all right, well, I want to play for my country. Someone else would like to be in my spot. Get up, get the motor going, get in the pool. And then when you're out there and the adrenaline kicks in again, then you start to feel good. And it's the same with, you know, we've all had it when you get up and you, it's cold in the morning and you think, oh, geez, I've got to, I have to go to work. But once you're up and about, you know, you're in a much better space. Yep. I stop at making my bed most mornings. That's, a, that's, that's, a, that's the <laughs> best bit bed. for me. <laughs> I think resilience is um, having the choice at the end of the day to choose to go and do things on your own terms. Um, so if you start at that end, everything else, you need 
you need to do to get to that, that point where you can say, I want to retire at a certain age or I want to um, have a house by this time of my life, I want to um, be good with my kids, I want to, whatever it might be, um, doing everything to get to that point is resilience. And I think it's what Brett said, it's doing something that you, every bit of your body is saying, I don't want to do, but you have to do it to get to that end point. Yeah. Thank you. Great pragmatic advice for everyone there. All right, let's head out to the audience. Um, can I have a show of hands? Who's got some, who's got some questions? One in the front. You can probably hear you, mate, if you want to yell it out. <laughs> it's Michael Bevan's cousin. <laughs> <laughs> Give me my regards. <laughs> um, you, Brett, you mentioned the importance of man management within teams to kind of understand motivations and understand what drivers are going to, you, that are going to enable you to get the best out of individuals within the team. How, and question for both of you, how have you both been able to align that to the team's overall goal? Um, and and to, to make sure that, yes, you're getting the best out of that individual for what they're trying to achieve, but how do you align that to the overall objective to make sure that they're working as a cohesive unit? Yeah, look, it's a, it's a very good question. And... We play in a team sport, so 11 plays, you've got your 12th man, 13th and 14th. The way that we um, went about our business, everyone was, was exactly the same, whether you're 12th man or 13th man, you're as, as important as the guy on the field. But also, too, you're, you're 11 players that are individual players. So for me to help the team, I had to bowl the best. I had to take the wickets, I had to do my job. And it's the same here. Everyone has to do their little part in order to make the whole team run but also to making sure that whatever you're doing, you're not going to um, try to cut someone at the knees and, and get to that, that end job. We had a, uh, a test team from 2001 to 2004 where we pretty much didn't change the whole team and we knew that if we collectively do a great job and are su successful, then we're not going to have 15 guys come in and try to take our job. So if you do your job well, respect what the team environment is, respect what the end goal is, and, and have a great leader. Because at the end of the day, the captain makes a call. He or she makes the call. You mightn't agree with it, and you might challenge it, but you respect it at the, at the end of the day. Yeah, it's, it's definitely it's communication from the top down. I think defining what everyone's role is, asking questions. It's you having the self-awareness to work out what your role is and how you can improve that role and expand on it. Um, but communicate that, um, ask questions, um, Try and, try and, you know, some of the parts is always greater than individuals. And cricket is a, it's a team sport, as Brett said, but it's a, it's a team of 11 individuals, really, and how they come together. But it's just really, and there's no greater feeling. That Australian cricket team we had where there were games when you personally didn't do well, but you were so excited for your teammates, yep. you did. Um, that's, that's a really tough culture to create. If you get there, it's, it's pretty special. Thank you. Next questions. First of all, thank you so much for making time for this. It's, I'm having a real fanboy moment uh, seeing both of you. <laughs> uh, if I may ask a very basic question, to, from the age of 9 till 29 and 39, to be able to make for the Team Australia and play for that long requires a lot of discipline, commitment, day in, day out. What advice would you give my 7-year-old kid that this is how you approach your dream and this is how you be, stay disciplined for that long, so many years. I think, I think you have to learn to be able to adapt. The thing that I've noticed with 
playing test cricket, then to go to one-day cricket. They changed the captains. It was a changing of the, of, of the guard, so to speak. And then T20 cricket came along in, what, 2006, I think it was. As, as a fast bowler, we had to learn how to adapt. And if I bowled the same way I'd bowl in a test match, I'd get absolutely pumped. I wouldn't be in the team long. So I, I had to be able to adapt and change the way that I thought about the game. So, you know, the advice I'd give to the young, young kids coming through, try everything in the nets, try everything that you want to do behind the scenes. When you get out to a game, you've got to make sure that you are so confident. For me, it was having three, three balls. And there'd be times where I would be playing a game, say, tomorrow night at the SCG. I'd train this afternoon. I might bowl an hour straight just bowling Yorkers because I knew that if I had a bowl against Sachin Tanduka when he's on 90 and when they need 10 runs to win off the last over, I had to nail and execute that Yorker. So be confident of, of having two or three things up your sleeve that you do very, very well. You can have 16 different balls that you want to bowl, but pick three and execute those three perfectly. Yeah, you have to um, almost be on autopilot. People say, oh, you, you often hear the sporting term, I was in the zone. Well, what does that mean? Mm. It means you're almost like in this sort of, I know, a different plane, a, a state of mind where you're just reacting to exactly the ball. You're not affected by the situation around you. Um, but that just takes hours of practice and doing it. And it's funny, we, we both love our music. We play in the band Six and Out. Those that haven't got a CD, I've got about 4,000 in my garage. Um, <laughs> we're, we're a bit like the Eagles on a 14-year vacation. But um, <laughs> my, my car got broken into when I was 21, and they flogged about 20 bucks out of my ashtray back then in my, in my little car. We had six Six and Out CDs on my, on my um, passenger seat. They did not take one. <laughs> I mean, they could have taken one. They've listened to it. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it's funny. So we, we got to meet a lot of musicians over the years, um, and it was quite funny, like the boys from In Excess or, you know, um, the Hoodie Gurus and that, and all the musicians loved sportsmen. They go, how do you guys do it? And, and all the sportsmen, we love the musicians. Mm. And I thought, why is that? And, and I worked it out is that to be, I think, a very successful sportsman professionally, you have to be able to do what you do day in, day out, so almost unemotional just on that autopilot sort of um, state of mind. But a musician or an entertainer, you have to be totally emotional. So it was opposites attract. Mm. And, um, and I learned a lot from that. I, three things for my kids, it's compulsory, education, non-negotiable. Um, they have to play a team sport. Um, I've got two girls and a boy. Um, if they want to do an individual sport, that's fine. Um, and they have to do an art, because I don't want them just to be total sports jocks. Yep. What's, I don't know, what's, is there a female version of sports? I don't know, jock, no? I don't. Um, or, or, or totally arty. I wanted to, be, to experience different types of people and learn from that. So you're a, more of a rounded person. Great answers. Next questions. Um, just on your, I guess, post career, we've seen like a lot of high profile sports people struggle with their mental mm. health or their identity after the game. Did you, either of you, have those struggles? And, you know, obviously, Brett, you're still quite in the spotlight, but, you know, maybe for you, Shane. You know, how did you guys deal with them and did you have those struggles yourself? Well, yeah, I think, yeah, um, I think you do. It's, um, I was very different to Brett. We, we often talk about this having a... For me, my dad said, I want you to go to university. What should I do, Dad? I don't know, just go to university. <laughs> and I did that and I was very proud of achieving a science degree and major in psychology. Um, then I went straight into the media world because I wanted a plan B. Brett, Brett was just 100% focused and... Yeah, that, so 
what's the right right approach? Is it to, if you've got a plan B, you might do as well. If you've only got a plan A, but so it's, it's all about. Balance. I did have 15 degrees, but it was in my right <laughs> elbow. So, um, but I, look, I, I think I don't. What was the question again? <laughs> about mental health. No, mental health, I think yeah. mental the, the health other thing too yeah. with with the whole mental health thing is that. Back when we were playing, it was swept on the carpet. If you came and, and said to someone, I'm struggling, go away, mate, you know, toughen up. The whole thing, toughen up. And, I, and I'm an ambassador for Gotcha for Life, which I'm really, really proud about. And it's great now that we, if we are struggling, uh, guys and girls, and it happens to everyone, you're having a bit of an off day, tell someone about it. Because no one expects you to be 100%, 100% of the time, if that makes sense. So it, it's about now we're, we're a lot more aware of it. Um, and we're, we've sort of found a way to, to deal with those issues. You're dead right. We're seeing a lot of my, my peers in, in the cricket world who are really struggling now, um, trying to find uh, what makes them feel good. Um, when, when, the, when the end of your career stops and the lights go off and people aren't walking up to you in the street and patting you on the back and saying, you know, you're fantastic, um, a lot of people like that sort of feeling and, and then have to start and way down in, in the workspace and then... Yeah, it's really, really tough for a lot of people. I think it's about having balance. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's individual. Because sportsmen, I think, potentially when they get to a certain level, you can, it's a bit of a fairyland, really. Everything's done for you. Um, you got, in the Australian career team, there's about 25 helpers. I don't know what half of them do, but anyway. <laughs> but they, they carry your bags, they do everything for you. So you, you need to have a, a grounding at home as well to be able to manage that stuff because it's not easy. I carried yours for 20 tough. years. Pardon? I carried your bags for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> Probably still do. <laughs> um, look, we've run out of time. Um, on behalf of uh, myself and Securo and everyone here today, I want to say thanks for joining us today. Shane and Brett, it's been an awesome conversation and we uh, hopefully will see you for SecuraCon next year. Thank well, you very thank much. You, thank you, everyone. Thank you. Cheers, man. That was awesome. Thanks for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. Make sure you hit subscribe or follow wherever you listen so you don't miss future episodes. Thanks to our live guests, Shane and Brett Lee. I truly appreciate your time. Thanks to our sponsor, Securo. If you'd like to know more about me or Securo, you can head to securo.io. Securo. Trust tomorrow. This podcast was made by Afternoon Sport Group. Thanks for listening to the Building Resilience Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, why not check out one of our other podcasts? Like Strive Stronger with Andrew May. Listen in as Andrew May explores the latest and greatest in human performance. Find it wherever you listen to podcasts or head to afternoonsport.com. Afternoon Sport.